0: Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. Joining me today is Gillian Hepburn from Schroders. Gillian, you recently produced some very interesting research on advisors dealing with um, divorced and widowed clients. I wondered if you could explain what you found.
1: Yeah, sure, Charles. And um, thanks for having me on the podcast today. No worries. Um, I think, first up, it's, it's a really challenging time. Um in in women's lives if they're experiencing, you know, death of a loved one or or divorce and the last thing that they need um, is to really worry about their financial situation. Um, And I've spoken a lot about intergenerational wealth transfer over the last couple of years. um, um, And we've always tended to focus on moving money to that next generation, but maybe perhaps a, a bigger challenge in the short term is that the first point of transfer is often from um, one partner to another. And if you look at the generation at the moment, it is traditionally husband to wife, isn't it? And um, interestingly, two thirds of the the baby boomer wealth, if we could call it that, is held within joint households. Um, And it's predicted... um, that you know much of that money will will flow from from one partner to another, and I think the C CEBR um, projected that sixty percent of the wealth in the UK will be held by women in twenty twenty five. And so, for financial advisors, it's not necessarily just thinking about wealth transfer in the context of the next generation, but also um, moving from you know one you know one partner to another. Um, and and I think particularly for financial advisors, um, the the one statistic that I would highlight is that 70% of women in that position um, will actually change advisor. So um, at at the point that the the money is transferred. So um, I think think there's an interesting dynamic going on here, um, because clearly there's a lot of um, financial planning going on, but if that money is going to move out of the financial advisors business then it's maybe something that they want to sit back and kind of think about and um am i am i thinking enough about those female partners um, and and what can i do to make sure that that money's retained
0: that's a really interesting statistic on the uh, 70 percent figure where was that from out of interest
1: um that was from some research that was done by mckinsey
0: Mm. and it shows i mean why do you think so many women do change advisors at that point what do you think the current well, advisor is lacking
1: yeah no it's good good question. I mean, I, again you know the research talked about how women had felt shut out of the conversation and, and potentially mm. maybe because if you look at that generation at the moment where that's happening um yeah, males were traditionally you know the, the husband was traditionally the breadwinner so it was maybe seen as their money but they felt that they were largely ignored they felt interestingly Unable to ask um, basic financial literacy questions, so maybe there's just a bit of a, a kind of a lack of confidence there, um, but also women very much want to have an advisor where they see that there's a personal fit, yeah. to somebody that they've maybe selected that they can attune to, that understands their, their needs and some of their specific challenges. So um, I think there's a number of things going on that advisors need to think about.
0: And what kind of challenges are you talking about there when you say specific challenges?
1: well I mean I, I guess first of all it's about how, how do we make sure that we engage um, couples um, but also when we get to a position where we do potentially have um, a, a widow or a female um, what what do they specifically need and look for in an advisor and um, you know what what would make them stay with that advisor in terms of you know the, the proposition that they have and, and if I go back to advisors as well for a minute um. One of the challenges, obviously, of losing wealth out of their business is, um, you know, as we know, Charles, many advisors are looking for an exit strategy in the next mm. 10, five, 10 years. So at the very point where they want to maximise the valuation of that business, the last thing they really need is, you know, 70% of clients moving out of that business. Of course. So, yeah, so there's a number of things to consider. Um, but it's it's about thinking about women differently. Um, and what are their needs and requirements at that point? Um, because uh, our, our recent advisor survey here at shoulders indicated that less than 10 percent of advisors uh, specifically had a proposition uh, for women in that position or for women in general,
0: actually. And what would a uh, proposition for women in that position look like?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question because I don't necessarily think it's about the products themselves. Yeah. That yeah. It, it's probably about um, taking a different approach. So it's about do I understand these women, you know, better? Um. they you know, t- typically they focus on life goals and health and welfare and concern about their family and longevity. Um, we're, we're told an interesting one, that they can be more averse to risk. Obviously, if that's the case, then we need to make sure that yes, we have a range of products. But I actually think um, it's probably that they're more risk aware. Does that make sense? Um, rather than risk averse. It's back to this communication and education piece. Yeah.
0: Could you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean by risk aware?
1: Yeah, so it's understanding, um, you know, the, the just the, the benefits of risk and reward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So taking risk is not necessarily dangerous or a bad thing. Um, but um, And in order to um, make sure that your financial plan is on on track and doing the right thing, certainly some people will need to take more risk. So it's really understanding the dynamics of risk. I mean, interestingly, the, the survey said that um, women wanted more help with cash management but you wonder if that's just a symptom yeah of the fact that they were a little bit more risk averse um or just lacking maybe in, in understanding um and and we holding money in cash rather than investing does that does that kind of make sense so I think it I does. Think I think mean, kind of circular arguments here, yeah?
0: Yeah, I, w- I wondered whether there's, does this go back to sort of a root cause of um, yeah. just confidence with money? Well, and?
1: Yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, again, um, we, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of research. We do a global investor survey every year and we asked women about how confident they felt in terms of, you know, investing and, and generally it, it does appear they are less, or they believe that they are less confident than men. You know, they, they describe themselves as less experienced and less expert. Um, so I, th- I think it'd be great to dig deeper and understand why that is the case. Um, you know, particularly as um, many women run the household finances, for example. But yeah. so why do they feel like that about um, investing? I think it's a really, it's a really interesting one
0: one one question i sort of have on that is how how does an advisor then avoid it becoming you know what what's the i'm trying to i'm trying to word this right but the the kind of line between something that is perhaps people who are less confident but also doesn't become patronizing what's the how do you navigate that and make sure it is actually useful
1: yes it's, it's a it's a really good one and i, I actually um was some really interesting um twitter debate recently about do you advise people as couples or individuals yeah Mm. and so maybe there's an opportunity to to spend time i don't know you know with with partners differently understanding them and 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 enabling women to ask um what they think are basic financial literacy questions which probably aren't if that makes sense so I, i do think there's this whole piece around education but giving women a voice and and an environment in which to ask the right questions you know a a great example is we held um a seminar here um probably well must have been over a year ago now
0: yes
1: and we we invited i think we had well over a hundred um young women not just in financial services but you know right from any industry and um we invited them through um, a social enterprise called Money Girl to come and talk about finances and in an open environment. And, and I was absolutely amazed at how engaged these women are in their mm. finances and how they felt that they, you know, they wanted to talk about it and and they wanted to ask what they felt were you kind know, of in some respects like basic questions, but just do that in an environment where it it, it was okay to do that if that makes sense?
0: Yes, definitely. Um,
1: I do do think there is some interesting statistics around um, going back to that women running the household and certainly what we're seeing is um, differences in the millennial generation about the number of women that now run the family finances. I think it was about um, nearly 70% compared with about 40% of the baby boomer generation. So perhaps we're seeing a kind of generational shift in this as well, and um, you know, coming through where women are more prepared um, and want to talk about their finances. So I, I think, you know, going back to that first question about proposition, it's um it's really thinking about as an advisor, what do I maybe need to do differently? Yeah. So it was a great example actually, Charles. Um where an advisor in the US had put together a specific proposition, um, it was actually for divorcees, where he, um, he experienced double-digit growth within the business, because what he did was you know, put a suite of experts within the business as well, so it wasn't just about him, it was about having um, you know, lawyers, accountants, solicitors, people that um, were also used to dealing with women in different circumstances, so broadening out his proposition. So, um, you know, it's it's just a really interesting area, I think, to focus on.
0: I was going to ask if you'd seen any sort of good examples. Obviously, you've given me that US one. Have you seen any other kind of cases where you think this has been done well?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I do think that um, we're beginning to see it broadening in the UK. Mm. Um, And and, and maybe one of the challenges, actually, is that um, it'd be great to see more women advisors as well on board yes. you know i'm not saying that necessarily women always want to speak to women but um you know one of the things in the survey it said that women wanted to deal with advisors where they felt it was more of a personal fit now that doesn't mean to say necessarily it needs to be a female advisors but um it you know we are seeing a, a growth i think in female advisors and it will be interesting to see if longer term you know that that maybe makes a difference here
0: and I think that maybe is one of the unspoken uh, problems, as it were, in terms of creating a proposition like this, there isn't...
1: Yeah, it's, it's not as tangible, right? It's not about just saying, I need this range of products. Although, actually, interestingly, um, there was some, some other research done where it did identify that women um, typically um, are, are more have a, a greater propensity to invest in sustainable solutions. So again, you know, it's it's always back to that segmentation and that the prod requirements of making sure that you've got the right segments nailed down and then the right products and services and investment solutions in place. And, and maybe for many advisors, women is just potentially a new segment. Yeah. I mean, we we talked a lot about prod in the last couple of years as well, and it's again our survey demonstrated that um increasingly advisors now have segmentation in place which is good news um but but maybe the, the not so good news if i could call it that is that um many advisors are still focusing that segmentation on assets under management um we're, we're seeing a, a slight increase in um advisors looking at life stage um but it'll be interesting to see how many advisors now start to think about you know do i have a challenge within my business in terms of wealth transferring to women um, and what do i need to do about it
0: yes and i think it's a very important fascinating point on the segmentation Mm. in that it does seem to us as well when we sort of anecdotally look at these things that it is very much done on assets um so do you think that is just more widely perhaps something that should be adopted uh, well
1: well, maybe it's a bit of a combination of both yeah Mm. in terms of um of how advisors segment, but um, I I think we're seeing some changes, um, but but for me, uh, the the big one, I think this is just a really interesting and and important topic, particularly for those advisors who are thinking about the long-term valuation and the long-term life of their their business. If if most of that money is going to move from one partner to another, what, what are they doing? And, and one of the things I've often talked about in the whole wealth transfer piece is about advisors doing an audit of their business. So do you really know um, where you're placed in all of this? So if, if your segmentation then identifies that from a life stage perspective, um you know the average age of clients is 75, 80 plus, which some advisors have told me is the case. <clears throat> then are you really at risk then of, of that money moving either to the next generation and the, the money then moving out the door? Or is it, you know, is it at risk of moving to the female partner who is again likely to move to a different advisor? So, so almost, you know, get, get your head around the numbers and work out whilst, you know, 80% of advisors are still saying that wealth transfer is a great opportunity. Uh, are we really doing something about it but but do we really know um where we're placed with all of this and what are the risks Uh,
0: um what kind of risks do you think there are then from that
1: well I I just think the biggest risk is um is is not actually doing anything to try and retain that money yeah so whether that might whether that be this this sort of moving to female partners or whether that's moving to the next generation. And I and I, you know, I, I very much understand some of the challenges that advisors have here, particularly with the next generation, where um you know what they tell me often is we, we don't have a proposition and I, and I won't make men any profit from them. Yeah. And I and I absolutely understand that that mindset. Yeah, but but maybe I think if I said used the word before maybe that's slightly short sighted. Um, But what I'm seeing is advisors, you know, some some examples now of advisors doing things like, um, if I think about the next generation, do I need to have a mortgage advisor that works with me, for example? Do I need to focus some efforts on protection? Um, But one of the things I've always said is that next generation, um, the millennials, they're not just teenagers any longer. Yeah, The, the top end of that age group is probably about 36, roughly. Yeah. Um, and some of our research indicated that that's at the point where people really start to think about long-term savings uh, for family and pensions and so there there are opportunities you know to engage there and maybe what the advisor needs to do is just think a little bit differently again about the proposition to that next generation not just in the products um, but also things like charges for example you know we've seen recent FCA paper talking about um, ongoing charges yes I think you know the number was it was at 90% of people being put into an ongoing charge model and some of them may not require that and you know again the the millennial generation typically um, are happy to have advice but they might not want to pay an ongoing charge they want to pay for it when they get it rather than having an ongoing charge so again it, it broadens the debate in terms of propositions for the next generation, not just in terms of products, but, but you know, how do I charge? What do I charge? Um, and and also things like, again, you know, sustainable investment options. I'm seeing some good examples actually of advisor businesses where, you know, they, they talk about managing family wealth and, and they're putting strategies in place there, but also what they're doing um, if they're advising that next generation of existing clients they're maybe giving them mortgage or protection at, advice at no cost.
0: And that's, oh, wow, a, that's
1: yeah. So that's just that sounds very it, interesting. It is. And it's just thinking a bit differently because because what they're doing is thinking about that longer term future proofing of the business. You know, I, you know, mum, the, the, the parents have wealth that I've managed for years and I've put lots of strategies in place, but what I don't want to do is lose it. But the way to do that is to engage that next generation. Um, and maybe accept that yeah, I might not make significant profit if we want to call it that mm. um, over the short term, but it's about um, it's about having that strategy in place so that sixty five percent of the people that inherit the wealth don't move to somebody else. you know they they know me and they, and they will continue to to work with me. So um, so i'm I'm starting to see really good examples actually of of certainly that next generation piece coming through
0: yes definitely uh, and it's that trust relationship isn't it yeah
1: yeah and, and another area we talk a lot about is um thinking about the the process of passing money on and and what that involves as opposed to you know if you're having family conversations and we know that there's not enough of those taking taking place um i think the figure was only nine percent of families talk about it and maybe i'll talk about the fact maybe we're all a bit british and we don't like <laughs> money, like it's not you know it's just not what we like to do but actually, if we talk about what is a will and where is the will and what's in the will and um, what is a power of attorney and who has that and what does that mean and, and when is it invoked? And um, and, it, and if we talk to families about those sorts of areas as opposed to saying we've got X amount of money that will we'll move to that next generation, I think it's um, kind of in some respects softer conversations. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and obviously... Um, you know, what, what we've seen in the last year is, um, you know, really challenging times, but obviously opportunities for families now to, to sit together and to talk more about what might happen if parents pass on. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and just open up these kind of conversations. So, you know, I think whilst you wouldn't want to see an opportunity out of what's gone on in the last year, I think for advisors, you know certainly people are looking much more at having wills in place and and what that means so um, maybe some of those difficult conversations actually just got a whole lot easier yeah
0: yes I see what you mean on that one one thing I wondered actually that's just come to mind is whether there is potentially the way advisors talk about wealth transfer is often focused on stuff like IHT um, in this very technical terms do you think that's maybe holding back this conversation as well that we only tend to think about it in terms of the technical solution and not as you're talking about here kind of the emotional understanding of how we do this
1: yeah I think you're spot on actually and I, and I do think you know a lot of advisors will say you know I, I do lots of inheritance tax planning and I put trusts and everything in place and, that, and that's great but if we don't have those wider family conversations then how do we know that all that all that really good financial planning doesn't effectively go to waste and, and from from that i mean waste within the advisor business yeah so it's, it's how do we facilitate some of those conversations and some of the advisors i've spoken to about it have said well you know one of the things we want to try and do is, is put softer skills within the business and and think about how we can have those conversations and what can we put in place you know um, a great example I heard of. One of the benefits of talking about this is um, advisors share experiences with me yeah. and best practice. Yeah, um, an advisor talked to me about putting a kind of family bible in place, where they use the production of, and it is a bit old-fashioned, but it is a hard-bound book, and we put that in place by by facilitating a family conversation, not about back to my earlier point, not about the actual money that will move. But um, but where it's held, where it's going to go, and um, is it going to skip a generation? For example, is some of the money going to go to grandchildren? And um, is it being unequally distributed? So there's lots of different conversations to have. And and she, you know, we actually map out a kind of family tree and and put everything in this document. And um, and it's seen that it's it's owned by the family. If that makes sense. And she said by by taking that kind of family discussion approach it makes the whole conversation a lot easier yeah and then it can drive out other things like um, you know paying for um, how can we pass on money um, now as opposed to waiting at the point of somebody passing on and so you know can we help with school fees planning for example can that come as income can we can we pass on money tax efficiently and and I always talk about you know that the seven year you know, tax rule isn't it a softer conversation to talk about passing money on for a specific purpose rather than if you give me money now and you you, you know and your last seven years the tax man doesn't get it yeah so there's ways of framing it um, because again I know a lot of people are worried about passing on money and it being I don't like to use the word but squandered right you know and um, they, they want their money to go to to be to be put to good use they want to know that that money is going to be i guess maybe treated with respect in some ways so um and i think there's a lot of ways of doing that yeah
0: and and we we have sort of touched upon it but do you think how much does the sort of investment solution play into this is that a a big problem or is that really just sort of the add-on and it's not connected to the transfer
1: no, I, th- I think the investment solution can play a very important part. I mean, we've obviously talked about sustainability and sustainable yeah. investments. And and actually, while many people still say, well, that's, you know, that's for young people. You know, certainly our research doesn't show that. And I don't think that's the case any longer. You know, people, and again, the pandemic has shone a light on on everything. And, um, you know, people are caring more about what we would call here at shoulders people and planets. So, um it's about making sure that um, right from people passing on wealth who who may in some uh, circumstances require, for example, a bespoke portfolio for, for managing money out of their estate in tax efficient manner or for, for various different reasons, um, you know, right through to having multi asset. and um, uh, solutions either unitized or model portfolios on platforms so it's about making sure that the advisor has at their fingertips that you know that kind of broad range and also things like going back to the conversation about um, women in particular you know if if they genu- genuinely are more risk-averse do we have a solution that has a range of different risk profiles and um, that will be appropriate for all of the clients in my my in my client bank yes I think the investment solution is important um, but it's about that wider piece as well. Yeah.
0: Yes. I suppose the difficulty is trying to fit that kind of solution into the specific recommendation. Um
1: I don't necessarily think so. It's just about mm. you know it's going back to prod again and saying, what does my segmentation look like, um, and do I have within each of my segments a range of solutions? You know, I used to always use them um, so do that later life stage as a, a segment of which there are segments, aren't they? There's there's yeah. people that are taking income from their pension post retirement, and um, there are people that can take their income from other sources, and and as a result you know, we do still need a different range of solutions to um, to meet different requirements and different demands of clients. So it's about making sure that within each of the segments, there's a broad enough range of investment solutions and indeed services, um, you know, to, to cover all of the potential clients that sit within a segment. And that's back to why maybe just looking at assets under management isn't, um, you know, it's, it shouldn't be just the sole way of, um, of segmenting client banks.
0: Well, thank you very much, Gillian.
1: Not at all. Absolute pleasure.